We're in the book of John, the Gospel according to John. And we've been taking little bits and pieces on Christmas Eve and then uh, a week before that and Sunday following. We've been looking at just little bits and pieces. We haven't fully gotten into the entire first chapter of the Gospel. We're going to do that on Wednesday night. This morning we're going to look at another part of the chapter of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We could probably spend the next several months just in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. So much theology, so much truth, so much grace in these few verses as John opens up. And, and it's not surprising because as we talked about, John waited some 60 years to write this Gospel. This is a Gospel of a great pondering. This is a gospel of a great maturing. John allowed the Lord to work in his life and had no intention, we talked about before, of even writing a gospel, but took his time and grew and matured in his faith. And finally, the Lord tapped him and said, Now, John, and he wrote this gospel looking back, considering understanding, and knowing far more than than the three years he walked with Jesus in the flesh, but the 60 years after that that he walked with Jesus in the Spirit. And all that informs the Gospel according to John, which perhaps explains to us so much of the depth that is in this book. But we're going to pick up where we left off a couple or three weeks ago. I'm not even sure when it was. It was last year. It doesn't really matter. But we're going to pick up in verse 6. We looked at the first five verses already. Verse 6 of John chapter 1. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. Skip down to verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews were sent to him, when they sent him, the priests and uh, Levites from Jerusalem, to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said to him, Who are you? So we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as as Isaiah the prophet had said. Father, as we consider your servant John this morning, may he simply be, Lord, uh, a voice and nothing more. A man, Father, who we may admire, we may look at and say he was great among the Hebrew prophets, but Father, John's purpose, may it not be lost on us, was to point people to Jesus. And so really, Father, even though we're talking about John a bit this morning, may we look at Jesus and consider Jesus, and talk about Jesus, for He alone is our Lord and our Savior. We pray the blessing of the Lord on the teaching this morning, and that You would keep us, Father, on step, walking forward in truth and in grace, in Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Greater works 
than Jesus did? i got to admit, that excites me. That thrills me a little bit. I mean, what follower of Jesus doesn't want to do great things for the Lord? Who among us here this morning, if you really had to stop and think about it, would not want to have a big impact in the world for Jesus Christ? To build the kingdom. You know, expand the borders. Bring the lost to salvation. I mean, this kind of thing, this kind of stuff really turns me on. I get excited to think about Big things for the Lord. Especially this year, 2015, with blood moons rising. A lot of talk about, you know, the the blood moon tetrad, the the four blood moons, two last year, two this year, and and major things have seemed to have happened in the past when this tetrad uh, pattern has taken place. Interesting things, we may talk about that more as we get further into the year. But whether or not this is the year of Jesus' coming, whether or not the four blood moons are some kind of a sign, a symbol of the Lord to say, hey, wake up, now is the time, we have been called to live with such expectation. Blood moons are not. A follower of Jesus is called to live a life expecting Him at any moment. That means today, or perhaps tomorrow, or this week. And that should instruct our lives, inform our lives, invigorate our lives. The looking for and the longing for Jesus to come. I want to be found faithful. You know, I want to do big things for our great God before He comes. I'm excited about the baptistry over here finally getting built. You know, let's get some people washed. Let's get some people dunked. And we'll try not to lose any. (laughs) But I want to see that happening. I get excited. I look at the empty chairs here and I say, fill these, Lord. Fill to overflowing. Big things, Lord. Help us as a fellowship to dream big. And when He comes, I want to be working the field. When He comes, I want to be bringing in the harvest. When He comes, I want to be in the midst of seeing the salvation of the many. Big things. So here's my New Year's resolution. I want to make this year count for the kingdom. But is that the best resolution? You see, that was my resolution about a week ago. And it has changed over the past few days. You see, as we read over John chapter 1, in the midst of this awesome introduction to the Word who was God and who was with God, He was with God in the beginning, to Jesus, the God-man, the Word made flesh, we read about another man. Just a man. John. Not John the Apostle, the writer of this Gospel, but John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. The one about whom Jesus said in Matthew 11.11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet when you look at John's life, as Jesus' ministry takes off, John's ministry goes dark. As the focus shifts to the Christ, the forerunner is shackled in prison. As we see Jesus becoming, literally in all things, the head of the church, John just ended up beheaded. 
Ever wonder if you beheaded in the wrong direction? <laughs> or maybe you start to feel a little obsolete, old school, irrelevant, unnecessary in this world. We all want to do great things, but you know what? Sometimes it seems like we're getting diminishing returns for our efforts. Like the more I pour into something, the less I get back. This is especially true when I'm playing Mario Kart with my kids. I'll tell you, the first time it happened, Corey was eight years old and we sat down to play a little video game and he beat me. He was eight. That was 16 years ago. And I've only gone downhill since. The kids were playing Mario Kart in the house the other day. And I'll tell you what, it was driving me nuts. <laughs> driving Mario. Anyway, it, I'm terrible. I used to be the video king in my house prior to Corey's eighth birthday. I was. I knew what I was. I knew how to play these things. I could beat anybody. Cheryl was beating me yesterday. It was terrible. <laughs> Embarrassing, and I'm sitting. I finally just, I'm not playing this. Oh, you're going to be a bad sport? No, I just don't like to lose. <laughs> Reminded me of David, not my son David, who also beat me. The other David, the giant killer. The warrior king in his latter years, David was maybe in his late 60s, early 70s. And he went out with his men to fight the Philistines again. Perhaps he was feeling a little irrelevant and thought, I'm going to war. Because I know when I go to war and I take down some enemies, I start to feel like a man again. And so out David goes. <laughs> and a honking big giant named Yishbobanab. You would have to be a big giant to have a name like that. Yishbobanab, which means he lives on the heights. He was gunning for David. Listen to what happened. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with them, and they fought against the Philistines, and David became weary. Then Ishbibanab, who was among the, sin- the descendants of the giant, that is Goliath, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze, that's seven and a half pounds, was girded with a new sword and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle so that you do not distinguish the lamp of Israel. How do you think that made David feel? Stay in the palace, old man. We got it covered. We don't want to lose you in your feeble state. Put down the Mario Kart controller, David. You're no good at this anymore. Obsolete. Useless. Weak. Diminished. Side note, it breaks my heart when any of our senior saints feel that way. Because, and senior saints, listen to me, you shouldn't. You have more to offer this fellowship than any of us. Because you have the kind of experience that John had when he wrote his gospel. 
You have lived more years, you have seen more things, you have a better understanding than me or anyone younger than I. In our fellowship, there are young people who think as they are up and comers that they are the relevant age and that the older folk, well, you know, we'll take care of them. No, no, that's not the biblical mandate. We, every one of us, are called to live for the Lord till the day of our death or till He calls us home and you have something to offer. And in many cases, far more than I have or anyone else. Because you've seen and you know and you have an understanding. Please don't rob us of that. We need it. But here's David feeling this way. I know he had to feel this way. I have felt that way. I'm only 50 and I have felt that way. Am I relevant in this world anymore? Of course, then there are those on the other side who wonder how this world ever got along without them. You know, without their expertise, their mental acuity, their energy, their game. The up-and-comers, the movers and shakers. Either way, we all can benefit from the wisdom of the seemingly diminished, suddenly irrelevant John the Baptist. Listen to what I believe to be one of the best things he ever said. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I'd like to take that as my New Year's resolution. He must increase. I must decrease. All we hear from John is, as Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. John is just the messenger boy. He's just delivering what he's been told. That's his point. That's his purpose. That's ours. John knew something that guided his entire life and mission. And I'd like to take the rest of our time to consider that. What was it that John knew? Or better yet, what was it that John knew he was not? Look at verse 6 again in John chapter 1. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. Okay, so we already know right out of the gate that John is called. That that the Lord has assigned John to a purpose. As I believe He has with every single one of us, but John recognized that, accepted that truth. He was a man sent by God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through Him. Did you get that? The whole purpose of John's ministry was so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came to testify about the light. First thing to know about John, He was not the light. And He knew He was not the light. He's just a witness. He came testifying. The Greek verb testify is martureo. martureo. The Greek noun form of the same word, martus, is witness. So there in verse 6, where it says he came as a witness to testify, he came as a martus to martureo. Bible students, you know, that's where we get our word martyr. For see, a witness is one who literally lays themselves down to testify for someone else. You put it on the line for another. What does a martyr do? A martyr dies to self. Our world thinks when they hear the word martyr that it's a suicide bomber. No, that's homicide. That's murderer. But a martyr 
is one who will give up their own life for another. Who says, I'll decrease so that he might increase. Jesus said in Matthew 16.25, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In John 12.25, he takes that same thing up a notch. He says, he who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. And i got to confess, I hate my life in this world. I don't want to live for this world. I don't want to be established in this place. Are you kidding me? When there's heaven? When there's a greater city? When there's a higher place that we are made for and called to? Revelation 12.11 tells us they, speaking of the saints, overcame Him, overcame the devil because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. There's a witness. That's a martyr. They did not love their life when faced with death. The witness of the light best simply reflects the light. And the best way to reflect the life, and this is biblical, it may, may seem difficult, it may seem like a paradox, but it's biblical that the best way for me to reflect the light of Jesus Christ is to die to myself. Self-interest. Self-promotion. Self-indulgence. These are not the attitude of the witness of Christ. Those who die to self, who diminish self in favor of increasing Christ, that's the faithful witness. Romans 8.11 says, If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John was not the light. And he knew it. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. Verse 15, however, goes on and says, John testified about Him and cried out saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before Me. Second thing to note about John, He was not the light and John was not the Word. John was not the Word. Now, i got to pause on this one just for a moment because I think it's our words that are causing us some trouble in this life. In fact, it seems to me that words are the stuff of highest anxiety in our culture today. In a recent New York Times article entitled The Unending Anxiety of an ICYMI World, it says the following. In case you missed it, The initials I-C-Y-M-I stand for the first five words of this sentence. In case you missed it. In the event you have indeed missed it, it's most likely because you're not on the internet much, particularly on Twitter, where individuals and outlets deploy it every few seconds to bring links to the attention of others who may not have seen them. The New York Times now even has a section at the bottom of its app called In Case You Missed It, with articles from previous days. And the whole article in the Times talked about how this In Case You Missed It mentality is stressing us out. 
This 24-hour news cycle, this vast, constant flow of information has us constantly on edge because there may be something that other people have heard that we have yet to hear. And if someone comes up to me and says, hey, did you hear about this? And I didn't hear about it. I'm going to look like an idiot. And so I'm stressed. (laughs) And I get that. My family knows the only reason I read the news anymore is because I'm a Bible teacher. And I'm constantly looking for, you know, what's happening around us. Trying to be alert and aware of things going on so that the application of the Scriptures can be clear to me. But I hate the news. And I hate the fact that it's so constant. That it's words, 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 words. And what we have in the world today with the information overload is the words of man bringing anxiety. While the Word of God brings peace. And I was reminded just this morning of how much I love to sit here in Bible study with you all. Not to hear the sound of my own voice. Please don't misunderstand. I love being in the Word. I looked forward this morning just to sitting here in John 1 for a bit. I love Wednesday night study because we even then expand. We stretch out even more than we do on Sunday mornings. And we just sit in the Word of God. And I find peace there. And I find strength there. And some of my family were chiding me a bit because on Christmas Eve, I preached for 55 minutes. You know, people had things to do, places to go, you know, presents to open. (laughs) And I often find myself going back to uh, Brother Young, who wrote the book, The Heavenly Man. Fantastic book, you ought to read it, The Heavenly Man. And in it, in the Chinese underground church, he talks about, I think I've shared this with you before, that when evangelists began coming over there and, and preaching, they found that it just wasn't worth their time. So they started asking preachers and teachers and evangelists when they came over, if you can't preach for at least two hours, please don't come. Because they're used to four-hour teachings. And I thought... I could do that. (laughs) But to sit in the Word, to be in the Word of God, the eternal reason, mind, and heart of God as expressed in Jesus Christ and then as written for us on the page, the Word, the only Word that John had was what God gave him. John was not the Word. It wasn't his words the people were going out to hear. It was God's Word. And John saw with his own eyes the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was John's younger relative, second cousin perhaps. And John writes here that though Jesus came into the world after him, John testified that Jesus existed before him. That's the eternal Word. Which is a word worth hearing, the word worth knowing. And just in case you missed it, John repeats this in verse 30 of John chapter 1, where he says, This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And both times John uses the word existed, it's in the imperfect form, which means ongoing, continual existence, non-stop existence. Jesus has ever existed, always existed, without beginning, without end. This was John's witness of the word, the pre-existent word. 
pre-creation. <laughs> pre-you, pre-me. Not pre-me, but pre-me. Before me. John wasn't the Word. He just heard the Word. He just spoke the Word. John 5.24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears My Word and believes in Him who sent Me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. John, I'll say this about the man, he had a remarkably singular focus. He came to do one thing, baptize people and get them ready for Jesus. It was all about preparing the way. That was it. That was his life's mission. He did not stray from it. He stayed on it until he was done. And then he was obsolete, at least in terms of this world. He heard and spoke the Word of God. And it defined his entire life. If you feel like you're missing it, just in case you feel like you've missed it, or you feel like you're off message, or off track, or you're not sure of your direction, get back to the Word. Can we hit the reset button this year? So let's take the whole New Year's thing, as silly as it is, and let's say, okay, we're at the head of the year for us Americans. Hit the reset button. Man, I've just been really spotty when it comes to Bible study and, and you know, uh, being in the Word of God. Reset. Start now. Get into the Word. Listen to the Word. Seek the Word. Understand the Word. Take in as much Bible study as you possibly can this year. The Lord said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you be, may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. And you may say, well, Rick, I'm a little confused, because you, you were talking about Jesus, the pre-existent Word, Jesus, the Word made flesh, but now you're talking about the Word of the Bible. Well, which one is it? Both. To be in the Word of God. To study the Word of God. To pour over the Scriptures. To to digest God's Word. To be a hearer and a doer of the Word. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And I can testify to this. Listen, as His Word increases in my life, my words decrease. As His Word increases, my words decrease. What do you mean? I mean the more I'm in the Word of God, the more that's what I hear. When I need wisdom, when I need understanding, when I'm struggling with an answer. If I've been in the Word of God consistently, that's where the answer comes from. It flows in me. But when I'm absent from the Word, guess whose words I hear loud and clear? Mine. Yours. The words of man. Listen, the opposite is true. As His Word increases, my words decrease. But gang, as my words increase, His Word tends to decrease in me. Jesus said in John 6.63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Zero. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Reset. Be in the Word. John was not the Word. He just carried the Word. 
He was not the Word, but He spoke the Word. He was not the Word, but He knew the Word personally. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Oh, Oh, that sounds great. I'd love to do that, Paul, but how do I go about that? The very next verse, Paul says, holding fast the Word of life. The Word. So, question... Whose words are going to define your life this year? Yours or His? Skip down to verse 19. Verse 19, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Well, they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. The Jews sent out a delegation, a deputation. The Jewish ruling authority. Probably the Sanhedrin, because verse 24 tells us they were sent from the Pharisees. And they came out to John with three questions. Question number one, are you the Christ? Messianic expectation at the time was running high. It's interesting that Jesus came into the world at that time because people were expecting Him. You may recall in Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. There were people in Jerusalem looking for Messiah, longing for the Anointed One, waiting expectantly. And in that season, in that age, it was, it was intense. Luke chapter 3 verse 15 says the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. Something's happening. It's been 500 years, 400, give or take, 400 years since Malachi was here. And now all of a sudden, we got a guy in camel hair, Eating locusts and honey. It's got to be a prophet. We got a guy out here speaking the word of God. We got a guy out here baptizing people in the Jordan, and it's intense. And the people are going out to him in droves. Something's happening. And so the Jewish leaders had to find out what's going on. Are you the Christ? I am not the Christ, he says. Are you Elijah? They ask. Now that might seem a weird question to non Jewish folk who know something of history. Elijah who had died, you know, a thousand years before. Are you kidding me? Are you Elijah? Who would ask that kind of question? Someone who had recently studied Malachi might ask that question. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Malachi 4.5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, if God said He's going to do it, somebody in Jerusalem had read their Malachi. Somebody said, ask Him if He's Elijah. But again, John says, I am not. 
It's interesting, John says, I'm not Elijah, but Jesus equated John with Elijah. Matthew 11.13 Jesus said, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. But Jesus said in another place, Elijah is coming. Has not yet. I mean, is coming. Future tense. In fact, Jesus said Elijah is coming and has come. Explain this to me, Lord. Was John Elijah or was he not? And the answer is yes. He was Elijah and he was not Elijah. (laughs) He was Elijah positionally. He was not Elijah personally. He was Elijah in terms of spirit and power, but he was not Elijah in terms of the man, the Elijah who the Bible says will come before the great and glorious day of the Lord. See, it wasn't the day of the Lord. Elijah himself, I fully believe, will arrive on planet earth at some point before the day of the Lord. I think he's one of the two witnesses. More about that another time. So Elijah is going to come. But remember what Gabriel said to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. He said in Luke 1.17, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared <coughs> excuse me prepared for the Lord now get this John did he got the people ready he fulfilled his ministry and calling there was a radical recharge in Israel during the ministry of John you just won't hear about it especially not from him John doesn't answer the questions, are you the Christ? Are you the Elijah? Are you Elijah? He doesn't answer them, well, uh, I'll let you decide. Check out my ministry. Look at my accomplishments. How can you even ask me these questions? Of course I'm glorious and great in my own right. You don't hear any of that from John. John never once points to what he's doing. Never once says, Look at the baptism. How many this month, dudes? Let's keep the count up. He never proclaims himself. Third question. Not the Christ. Not Elijah. Are you the prophet? The prophet. And John said, no. The prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. The Lord had said through Moses, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so there were those waiting for the Christ, waiting for Elijah, and waiting for the prophets. All three. And they weren't sure how it was going to work. Who the Christ would be, who the prophet would be, who Elijah would be. They figured it would be Elijah himself, but having never seen him... Perhaps this John is him. There's a lot of confusion. And what's interesting to me is had the Jewish authority truly studied the whole counsel of the Word of God, they would have understood the prophet of Deuteronomy 18 and the Christ of Hebrew prophecy were one and the same person. And that person was not Elijah. And that person was not John. John was not the light. John was not the Word. John was not the Christ. John was not Elijah. And finally, John was not the prophet. John was not. That pretty much speaks his life. John was not. 
Do you know who you are not? I think it's a fair question, especially when we start to get a little full of ourselves like the Jewish leaders. These questions reveal arrogance. And these questions reveal confusion in the ranks. Are you the Christ? Well, John's father, everybody knew, was Zacharias, who was a Levite. John was a Levite, not of the tribe of Judah. The Christ, at least biblical Hebrew, taught the Christ would come of the line of David and would sit on the throne of David. And a Levite could not do that. Why are you asking if he is the Christ? If he's of the tribe of Levi, he can't be. But extra biblical speculation was high that perhaps the anointed one would be a Levite. Where'd that come from? Well, it, it piggybacked off Zechariah 6 where it says the council of peace will be between the two offices. Remember studying that recently? That he will be both king and priest? And some, so some took that single verse and jumped off the diving board into the deep end with it and said, well, if he's going to be priest and king, then he could be a Levite as much as he could be of the tribe of Judah. One verse. As opposed to the whole council of the Word of God. And we have found in the scrolls at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the uh, Essene community there in Qumran, they believed that the Anointed One would be a Levite. They had that sensibility, and we see that in their writings. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Well, to their credit, at least they were close. Here comes a forerunner. This guy certainly looks like Elijah, camel hair and all, chewing on locusts. Are you the prophet? And again, they're mashing up the Scriptures and they're confused about Messiah's identity. But you know what? More than their three questions, I am fascinated by John's three responses. Note them. He says, I am not the Christ. And then he says, I am not. And then he says, no. So what? So the more they grill him about himself, the less he talks. The more they ask who he is, the less he has to say. Until he's just not saying anything at all. He's like Marshawn Lynch. (laughs) Did you hear about this? I mean, you you Seahawks fans, obviously, our our running back got fined $100,000 for not talking to the press. Didn't want to talk to the press. So they fined him. They had a $50,000 fine from last year for not talking to the press, but they put it on hold saying, if you do better this year, and he he did like one interview, this is a game in November, did like one interview afterwards, but would not talk to the press in the locker room, so they slapped him with another $50,000, a $100,000 fine. Well, he can afford it. Find me $100,000 and I'm going under. <laughs> but in a recent interview, or actually it became kind of a famous interview with Deion Sanders, Lynch gave what's become a great beast mode quote. Sanders said, you camera shy? You just don't want to talk really? And Lynch replied, I'm just about that action, boss. I'm just about that action. You know, in other words, I'm just here to do my job. I'm not here to talk to you guys. I like Lynch. I love the way this guy runs. I mean, have you really watched him? But side note, I know this has nothing to do... Okay, Rick's words. I know. Increasing. God's word decreasing. But Lynch is amazing. 
The way this guy dances through the line, he's unstoppable. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And that's John the Baptist. I'm just about that action, boss. I'm just about doing what God calls me to do. I'm not here to talk about myself. John the Baptist, singular in purpose, all about the win. He wasn't a man who wanted to talk of himself or his ministry or his church. In fact, John's words and witness go on to focus solely on Jesus Christ from here on out. They got three questions in. That's all he would answer. I am not the Christ. I am not. No. Who do you talk about? Or or what do you talk about when it comes to faith? Do you talk about yourself or your Savior? Do we talk about the church or the Christ? I want to ask you all for a New Year's favor. It's not something perhaps it's the best thing to ask when you're in a new building and, and there's a sense of wanting to see things grow and move forward and all of that. But I would like to ask you this year, please do not talk about the bridge. Talk about the Christ. Don't talk to people about what your church is doing. Talk to people about what Jesus is up to. Don't invite people. I mean, yeah, invite them, but don't just invite people to church. Bring them to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if you don't feel like someone coming to the bridge can hear about Jesus, don't bring them to the bridge. Because it's all about Him. And it is not about my ministry or Brian's ministry or Les's ministry or Leslie's ministry or anyone else's ministry. It's not about what this church is able to accomplish in 2015. Here is our purpose statement. That's not worth the beans. Gang, we are called for Jesus' sake to decrease as He increases. And so let's deny all questions about ourselves just like John. What a great example. I am not. I'm not the Christ. I'm not your Savior. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Deny all questions related to ourselves and confess Christ in all things. Who are you then? I'm just here for Jesus. Matthew 10.32, Jesus said, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. My friends, we are in danger of denying Jesus when our confession is about ourselves. Notice how John the Apostle phrases John the Baptist's responses to these three questions. Look again at verse 20. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. How interesting. Because every one of John's answers were denials. They were not confessions of who he was. They were denials. In fact, you could say it was confession by denial. And that is what I believe Jesus meant when He said, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Matthew 16, 24. That's a beautiful picture of denying yourself. Confession by denial. You see, denial, when Jesus said you've got to deny yourself, He was not talking about religious asceticism. Denying myself that piece of chocolate cake. Or that last slice of lemon meringue pie. 
It's not about giving up for Lent, self-denial. No. To deny the self is to do so in confession of Christ Jesus. Confession by denial. Confess Christ, deny self. We see that in John the Baptist. Now, there's more back and forth between John and the Jewish people, the Jewish uh, delegation there. We're not going to deal with that this morning. I'll look at it more on Wednesday night. But before we come back up and finish this morning, skip down to verse 35. Watch what happens when someone decreases so that Jesus might increase. Verse 35, And again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! Verse 37, The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And that's the point. That was the sum total of John's ministry. That's the mission. Our mission. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus. Run to Jesus. Behold Jesus. That people might follow Him. He must increase. I must decrease. John's life was the absolute opposite trajectory of Jesus' life. John's ministry was a decrescendo. Jesus' ministry was a glorious crescendo. Ultimately, in the resurrection of Christ, in the revelation of Jesus, in the return of Jesus, a great crescendo, ever greater, ever more glorious. John's ministry would grow dim. The ministry of Jesus would only get brighter. And that's the call that's on our lives. To do as John did. To decrease that he might increase. I am not the light. You are not the word. We are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet. Followers of Jesus. We are none of these things. Then what are we? We're a voice. We are a voice calling in the wilderness. With a word that doesn't stress people out. Or freak people out. A word that does not put a heavy weight on people's lives. But a word that speaks peace and freedom and salvation. A voice crying, make straight the way of the Lord. Watch this, go back to verse 9. Verse 9 now in chapter 1 tells us there was the true light. Which coming into the world enlightens every man. Here's the real difference between John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. John is just a lamp that bears that light. Over in John 5.35 it says, He was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. But it wasn't John's light. John was just a lamp through whom the light was burning. He was empowered, get this, he was empowered by the Spirit of Christ. Alexander McLaren once said, there is one thing that will always characterize the true witness of the light, and that is self-suppression. Keep yourself out of sight, Christian teachers and preachers. Put Christ in the front and hide behind Him. I like that. 
It's confession by denial. Confessing Christ. Denying self. Hiding behind my Lord and Savior. Verse 10 says, He was in the world. Jesus, that is. And the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. And no time in my life has that been more true. The world did not know Him. He made this world. He created us. He gave us life. And yet the world didn't even know when He came. Verse 11, He came to His own, that is Israel, the Jewish people. And those who were His own did not receive Him. But watch this. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in His name. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John was a lamp. He was empowered by the Spirit of Christ. So are you when you become born again. You might want to circle a word here, verse 12. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right. Circle the word right in your Bibles. You need to know this word. It is exousia in the Greek. And it means power. It is otherwise translated authority. In the King James translation of that verse, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Here's the point. On the one hand, I am diminished as a child. But on the other hand, I am increased with the authority of a son. An heir to the coming kingdom. On the one hand, there's weakness here. There's emptiness. There is self-denial. Like a lampstand that's not plugged into the wall. Like a lampstand in Israel that has, that has no oil, no fire, just a lampstand, just standing there, doesn't have any light in and of itself. But to receive Jesus is to receive power and authority. The Spirit of Christ, like oil poured into the lamp, like fire lighting up the lamp, power as a child of God. This is the, the amazing paradox here. The more you diminish, the more you decrease into Jesus, the brighter you will shine for Jesus. The less of self and the more of Him. In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Senior saints and everybody else listen. No one is obsolete in Jesus Christ. No one is irrelevant No life is significant. This is not Mario Kart. This is eternal life we're talking about. And you only shine brighter as you walk with Jesus. In the great paradox that we decrease that He might increase. That His power His authority, His grace, His truth in me shines so brightly that the world might know He is the Lord. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. That is the ministry of every follower of Jesus. And you know there's only one thing He asks of you today. Receive Him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, He says to you right now, Receive me. 
I came to this world, and this world did not know me, even though I created this world. came to Israel, Israel did not receive me. But to all who receive Him, He gives the right to be called a child of God. What really changes when the clock strikes 12 on New Year's Eve? Nothing. It's one of the stupidest, most inane holidays in history. And for those of you who are big New Year's buffs, listen, it's just an inane celebration if you really think about it. It's a lame excuse to have a party. It really is because nothing changes. The clock ticks a second and suddenly everything's supposed to be new. Most of us, at least at this point in my life, I'm like, click, okay, good night. <laughs> Do I really need to stay up for this? But the truth is there is one instance in history, in eternity, in which this is true, in which the ticking of a second makes all the change in the world, and that is when you receive Christ. Amen. The moment you receive Christ, everything is different. Let me give John the final word this morning. Listen to his testimony, the last testimony of John regarding Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. Speaking of Jesus, he who has received his testimony has set his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That's his last sermon. That's the testimony of this man. We have opportunity here before us. A simple opportunity to hit the reset button. And as followers of Jesus Christ, to receive His promise, to receive His calling fresh and new this morning. My assumption is most of you here first hour are followers of Jesus. And so, I'm going to pray in a moment, then we're going to sing this song, and as we sing, I invite you to come forward. I'm inviting everybody to come forward and to recommit your life to following Jesus, to being a lamp like John, to being a voice. But understand that we cannot do it in and of our own power, because our own power is nothing. It's by the power of the Spirit of Christ in us. And He wants to give. John said He gives the Spirit without measure. And so if you're feeling diminished or irrelevant or obsolete, come forward and pray that God would fill you again. That He would enrich you with His Spirit. Maybe you as a follower of Jesus have struggled along for years, just kind of being there, wanting to have some kind of impact on the world, but having no idea what that means. Would you come and be filled with His Spirit this morning?
And if you have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then by all means, I plead with you, don't let another moment go by without giving your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that Your Word would settle on our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, knowing Your words bring peace and truth and strength and encouragement. But I pray, Lord, in Your Spirit, I pray for Your Spirit. Lord Jesus, pour out Your Spirit on us like never before. We pray that those of us walking with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit would have an overflow now of Your Spirit to speak truth in this world and to to be voices in this wilderness for the sake of those lost. And Father, I ask even today that if there is anyone among us who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Your Spirit would move. That there would be, Lord, as of a, a, a fresh wind in the heart. And lives will be given to Jesus today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you come forward while we sing? Prayer team, come on up and let's sing together.